you just walk through your space in a very systematic way, and you're going to look for the COVID-19 trouble areas in your space. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Sam Pardue, who is the CEO and founder of Indo, which manufactures and markets window inserts that you press inside your window frames. He's also converted the lean manufacturing process into what he calls the clean manufacturing process to help businesses reopen safely. Sam, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm sitting here in my home office. I'm very grateful to be on your podcast. I've got my four-legged office assistant uh, sitting here next to me, so I'm good to go. All right. So let's get right to it because I wanted to ask you, well, a couple things, but we'll get into clean manufacturing process and how businesses can reopen first. But I wanted to ask you, what is Indo? Like, what is your product and how does it work? Sure. Indo manufactures window inserts that press inside your window frames without any mounting bracket to give you all the comfort and energy efficiency of high-end replacement windows. So they block 100% of the drafts, up to 70% of the noise, and they reduce your energy bills up to 20%. So it's a really great set of benefits and a product that is super easy to install without any modifications to your home or office. We sell to a lot of people who have noisy environments. We've actually seen a a bit of an uptick of sales to people working from home offices because the video conference calls or the podcast interviews they were doing, you know, they had the barking dog outside, they had the noisy, the sirens outside. And so they contact us, they get one of our window inserts, they pop it in their window and whoosh, it's quiet. So we've been in business for about 10 years. We sell everywhere in the United States and Canada. And what makes our, our product kind of special, because it installs with no mounting bracket, it uses a compression system around the edge to hold itself in place. So we are in what's called a mass custom manufacturing business. Each window insert we make is a unique size and actually unique shape because it turns out most window frames, especially in older buildings, are significantly out of square as the building settles, the windows are out of square. So we make the insert to be the exact shape of the window frame based on a series of laser measurements. And we ship the insert out already cut to be the exact shape of your window. So installation is super easy and the results are really great. Nice. So I have a question about laser measurements. How do you measure the windows? Is it like an app on your phone or something? Or do you send somebody out? Or Well, great question, Matt. We have a network of dealers. So if you happen to be inside of one of our dealer territories, the dealer will come laser your measure your windows. But actually, most of our customers, especially residential customers, are purchasing directly from Indo. And we will mail... A little laser measuring kit to the customer with this really nicely illustrated guide that takes you step by step through the process. And the customer will laser measure their own windows. And we have this really nice software that automatically detects measurement error uh, using some Pythagorean theorem and fuzzy logic, but basically it'll beep at you if you mess up your measurements. But once everything looks good, we guarantee that the insert that we make for you is going to fit. So this system works great. We've had thousands and thousands of residential customers laser measure their own windows very successfully. And uh, we like happy customers. 
I was going to say you must sell a lot in Canada because, man, I'm originally from Canada. When I was younger, I lived in a few of the kind of crappiest apartments in the whole world. Like I had this one apartment that was so cold that we got ice on the inside of the wall in winter. Well, what happened was you could just feel the breeze coming through the edges of the window frames, right? And it, this is what everybody does there. They buy some plastic, right? Like some clear plastic. And then they duct tape the plastic around their window frame every winter. And then they take it off. And then your window frames get all ripped up and crap. Anyways, that's an aside about when I lived in Canada when I was younger. But so let me ask you this. You're into lean manufacturing and maybe you want to give a quick brief about what lean manufacturing is. But then you were able to take lean manufacturing process and change that to clean manufacturing. So maybe you want to tell a little bit about both of those. Right. Sure. So everybody knows that Toyota is a really efficient manufacturing company. They just are a world leader at how well they manufacture automobiles and what the incredible quality that they have. Well, they're using lean manufacturing techniques to get that great outcome. And the interesting thing is that they learned these lean manufacturing techniques from an American consultant who came over to Japan after World War II to help uh, the Japanese rebuild their economy. And this consultant had some great techniques. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of common sense stuff, but there's some fundamental principles that are really important for lean. And one is that you empower everybody in your organization to have a voice in identifying quality and efficiency issues and coming up with solutions. And, you know, that's, so that's kind of the foundational idea, but like in, in a lean manufacturing line, for instance, you might use a technique called pokey oak, which makes it kind of, you design the assembly fixtures. So it's kind of impossible to attach a component in the wrong orientation. There's only one way to do it. So there's ways to design the assembly process to ensure quality. Uh, there's visual systems that make it really clear where things go, organizational systems that minimize the amount of motion and time that people spend getting from one place to the next. And it's powerful. Since the Japanese, you know, really popularized lean, it's now used by manufacturing companies all over the United States. And it's a, a variety of techniques, but really kind of fundamentally comes back to that idea that everyone in your organization can be part of identifying what the issues are and part of the team that identifies the solution. And that's, you know, so essentially in a nutshell, that's what lean is. Uh, clean practice, we actually call it clean practice rather than clean manufacturing. And that's for a reason. We found that a lot of non-manufacturing companies really are benefiting from what uh, we're doing with clean. But the idea of clean came out of Indo my company's response to COVID-19. In the early days of COVID-19, before it even hit the United States, I was tracking this new virus overseas. It just so happens my partner, Tiare, is a doctor of Chinese medicine, an acupuncturist. She started telling me about this new flu circulating in China that looked like a really big deal. So I started reading about it. And then here in Oregon, Hillsborough was one of the first three cities in the United States to have what's called community spread, which is when it's just spreading in general, not from a known source. So it hit Portland, it hit the Portland area really early. And by the time it hit, I already was reading a lot about this. And I was very concerned about COVID-19. And I was certain that it was going to spread very rapidly in the United States. There's nothing that would stop it. 
based on what I read about this disease. So when COVID-19 hit the Portland area, they announced the case on a Friday, and I spent all weekend creating the Endo-COVID-19 response plan. And on Monday, March 2nd, I presented the Endo response plan to my whole team. I said, hey, everybody, this is a really serious deal. We've got to react and we've got to have a good, solid approach to solving this crisis. And I was really gratified by the team's response. Everybody really loved the fact that we were being proactive, that we weren't waiting to be told what to do. And so, you know, jumped on board in terms of really helping us to do a great job of implementing that initial plan in our organization. And after a couple of weeks, I, I was really struck by how, what a great job our team was doing responding to COVID-19 inside of our four walls. And at that time, everybody was still working at the factory. But my response was really driven by the fact that we are a manufacturing organization. And, and it made sense that a lot of other organizations would be able to, dis to disperse their workers and send their workers home. But I knew if we were going to stay in business, we'd have to find a way to keep our people safe. And so I thought it would be really important to have a very aggressive response. As I mentioned, a couple weeks in, I was like, wow, everybody's doing a really great job. How are we doing this? And I realized that we were using the same business techniques that we had learned becoming a very efficient mass custom manufacturing business that had to get it right every time, right? We were using agile. We were using lean extensively, especially lean. A lot of the techniques we developed in our own response, you know, writing our own rule book because there was no other rule book really came out of lean because that's what we use to uh, run a lot of our, our, our efforts in our company. So I posted about our efforts on LinkedIn. I was like, you know, I'm not a big social media guy, but I went ahead and I posted a, an article on LinkedIn about our efforts because I thought it might be interesting to other business people. And I got a great response. More people responded to that post than any other one I've made thus far. And a lot of people were asking us for copies of our COVID-19 response plan, which I would email to them. But then I kind of realized, you know... This kind of needs a name. And really what it is, is, is it's lean, but it's for COVID-19. We're using all the techniques you use to identify and eliminate inefficiencies. But we're using these same techniques to identify and eliminate or reduce COVID-19 transmission vectors inside our organization. So it just made, it made sense to say COVID-19 plus lean, clean. And at the time, it was really focused on, you know, cleaning uh, surfaces. So that's really where the uh, name came from. Since then, we've set up a new website, cleanpractice.org, where we are sharing resources, free resources for other people that want to learn how they can reopen safely. Nice. You know, I didn't realize you were in Portland. Oh, yeah. I'm in Hillsboro. Okay. So... Well, I'm, I'm sitting in Hillsborough right now. That's where my home is. And so community transmission happened, you know, began in Hillsborough. I was like, oh my gosh, right, you know, right where I live. So uh, I was at the time I was riding the light rail in and then riding my bike from the blue line over to our factory, which is just uh, five blocks north of Northeast Broadway on Interstate Avenue. Yeah, I'm over off of Inarenko right now. <laughs> I'm in Old Orinco. I'm in Old Orinco Station. Yeah, we probably could walk to each other's house right now. <laughs> yeah, we could do that, but... That's funny. So, hey, that, that, I love that you guys were able to put out those resources. And kind of as a maybe a bit of an aside here is is it kind of speaks to the the real growth and power of LinkedIn. It's been such a powerhouse over the last year for a lot of business. It's really kind of still exploding. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I get my share of approaches from salespeople. I also have found it to be a really interesting way to connect with people and, you know, engage them in, in you know, meaningful conversations. So, yeah, I've, I've been uh, finding LinkedIn to be more and more helpful as well. Yeah, and if you get something that, like you were talking about posting your results or your findings about clean manufacturing, there's, you know, there's seems to be a really good mechanism in LinkedIn where if you get kind of enough people engaging or commenting on it right away, it just seems to spread really far outside of your connection network really quickly. It's just kind of, I mean, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to break through that you know, barrier to get it to become a little more viral when they're posting stuff. When in fact, all you really need to be doing is trying to produce content that people actually are going to need to help themselves right in their business. Like it's, it's totally not a, like it's, it's not the same animal as, as like a Facebook or an Instagram where you're trying to, you know, win the social battle and LinkedIn, you're, you're basically just saying, how can I provide the thing that's going to help the most people and then if they find it helpful, you'll suddenly discover your stuff spreads like wildfire, right? Right. No, that's 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 really that's a nice element to it. It is it does have that it is nicer that way. All right, so let me ask you this. So I guess talking about go moving towards like clean manufacturing, what are some of the things that you've done in your manufacturing people safe? Right. And I'm going to call it clean practice because while while clean practice came out of the manufacturing sector, we're actually finding that non-manufacturing companies are finding it especially helpful. And there's a couple of reasons we can talk about that. But so, yeah, clean, clean practice, some of the techniques it uses and, you know, even though they they're lean from lean manufacturing, non-lean people, people that don't know a thing about lean will find these very easy to do. And, you know, one of, but it's all founded on the principle that the more people in your organization you get involved in the effort, the more people that are on board, the better the outcome is going to be. And this is straight out of lean, actually. Every lean, lean practitioner will tell you that if you're going to try and, and transform your business with lean techniques, you really need buy-in from the top to the bottom of your organization or all the way across crowdsourcing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we have what we call the 10 principles of clean practice. And one of them is you have to have a plan, right? You need a document that says, this is how we're responding to COVID-19 inside of our organization. We actually share a template version of, of a COVID-19 response plan because I think a lot of people, you know, are, are struggling to get their heads wrapped around, okay, how do I do this? Right. So that's one of the ideas, but the way to you see, you want the senior most leadership to be involved in presenting your plan because that's top to bottom, left to right. Everybody in the organization participates, but it comes with leadership is, is a huge part of it. But one of the techniques we recommend you do is you divide up your space into zones, you know, depending on the size of your organization, but at, at Indo. We have 20,000 square foot uh, production facility. Uh, we divided it up into about seven zones. And those zones were kind of defined by you know, who's working in that area because you kind of want ownership of the area. And so we appointed zone captains. This is just kind of how we recommended doing it. And then once you have your zone captains appointed, we recommend that you do what we call a clean Gemba walk. Now, Gemba is a Japanese word for space. It's like, and when you do a Gemba walk in lean, you're walking out onto the 
production floor typically, and you've got senior leaders there, maybe people from who work in that area, and you're just looking to see what's happening. And maybe you're looking for where inventory is building up because that indicates a bottleneck. Maybe somebody can tell you about an area where they feel a little bit unsafe, identifying a potential safety issue, but you walk through the space. Now, we recommend doing a similar type of approach for COVID-19. You just use a gimbal walk, but you know you don't have to be a manufacturing person or a lean person to do a gimbal walk. You just walk through your space in a very systematic way, and you're going to look for the COVID-19 trouble areas in your space, and you're going to document them, you're going to write them down, and maybe you're going to stick a colorful sticker at every possible spot where there's an issue. Just to take an aside here, you know, thinking about COVID-19, there's really three key transmission vectors we all have to be worried about. And the and, and we first learned back in March about human to surface to human transmission. And so you've got to be very careful about the surfaces that multiple people touch. Then there's the human to human, right? So later, after we learned about surfaces, we learned about the danger of somebody coughing or sneezing on you. And so human to, you know, human to human direct, you know, uh, transmission became the second vector that we have to worry about. And social distancing was the big response to human to human and finally masks. And then the third vector that we're learning about more recently is human to air to human, where the virus actually becomes aerosolized as you talk or you laugh or you sing or argue <laughs> with somebody. And then that aerosolization, the virus can actually float around and depending on air currents can move quite a distance around the space. So clean practice in your Gemba walk, this little walk through your space, you're going to look for surfaces that more than one hand touches in a 72-hour period. You're going to look for areas where people get brought close together, and you're going to look for dead spots where there's very little air exchange and the, and the dead air builds up. So you're looking for areas you need to be concerned about where you know the virus can actually build up in the air and there's no airflow. Right. And that's kind of the, so when I was reading a study um, recently, they were talking about how when you don't have air flow in spaces, especially like bars and restaurants and stuff where people are in close proximity, that that was the amount of parts per million keeps going up and up and up as more you know people that are infected have been in the space. And then it becomes a problem where you get that, you know, like the issues like they had in that bar up in Clark County where like, you know, 19 people or something got infected at the same day. Right. No, I think that's, you know, you, you know, the way I've described it to my staff and, and on clean practice webinars is you almost need an imaginary Geiger counter in your head as you walk through your space. It's a lot like one of those movies where, you know, the radiation and like tick, 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 tick. And a little, a little click here and there isn't going to kill you with radiation, right? Like it's when it starts going off that you've got to be really worried and get out of there. Right. And at Endo, we have a break room that our, our social distancing, you know, we did our gimbal walk. We walked around. We realized that our break room was an area where we'd have excessive concentrations of people. And so we set up a second break table and we limited the number of people who could sit at either one of the break tables. Uh, and we staggered our breaks, you know, anything to spread out the, the closeness of people. But then, you know, once we learned about 
human-to-air-to-human -to -human transmission, we looked at that break room and we realized, wow, that's I got low ceilings. It's closed in on three sides. People go in there and they take their masks off to eat their lunch. You know, it's like the worst right. scenario. And so what we started to do is we have an exhaust fan right there in the kitchen right next to the exact, you know, the break room. And then we have a, there's this second door that was kind of, permanently locked closed on that break room because you know, we didn't you know, have cross, but we opened that door up and we actually took the door off the hinges uh, so that it couldn't be closed. And that allowed the combination of the exhaust fan and the limited number of seating and taking, you know, ensuring there was a way to get cross ventilation dramatically improved the safety of that space. Before you go forward there, Sam, let me ask you a question about that. Is there a way that, you can test for that kind of thing now, or is it more of a, like, you're looking at it and saying, okay, we know there isn't airflow in this space, so we're going to create more airflow, and we expect that that is going to help fix the problem, or is it something where you can do, like, surface testing and then find out that it's better, or some, some kind of testing, I don't know. Well, you know, the best idea I have right now is to use some sort of, you know, smokestick or incense or like that and see you know with incense you can see both you can both visually see the smoke but you can also kind of see how long the smell lingers in this space yeah it's but, clever. You know, this new area like actually is the trickiest of the areas to deal with because i haven't found yet and i've been looking uh i haven't found yet anything that says you know this is the number of people per cubic yard of air per unit of time that is tolerable in a space given you know, it's much more complicated. So what we have to do, and there's no, nobody, you know, nobody telling us the answer, right? So what we have to do is use our common sense as our first line of defense and start being, you know, more cautious rather than less cautious. And, and it also kind of speaks to the, actually the challenge of this crisis. One of the other techniques that Lean uses, so the Gemba Walk is really foundational for clean practice and it's really easy. Anybody can do it. And the idea is you get as many people in each zone to participate in the Gemba Walks as you can because the more people that participate in identifying the problem areas and identifying the solutions the better off you're going to be for a couple really important reasons. One is your organization's response to COVID-19 is, you know, first, it's safety, but second, it's morale. It's the morale of your team and the morale of the people that you're asking to come into that space. And I think a lot of organizations have tackled COVID-19 so far with the safety first in mind, but they haven't thought about the morale issue and how they can best keep people feeling really good. And now what we're finding is that there's a lot of people that are really miserable in their jobs. When you're miserable in your job because you don't feel safe and you don't trust management, it's going to exhaust, it's going to make it much harder for you to achieve your mission, to achieve your goals, whatever they may be. And, you know, we hear about uh, grocery store workers are really unhappy now and like it's getting harder to keep staffing going. It can, and as this crisis drags on, it can become a greater and greater problem. So getting people involved, more people involved is part of what clean practice highly encourages. And the Gimba Walks is a great opportunity to get people at all levels of your organization, you know, participating. Kaizen is another Japanese word that comes out of lean. But what it means is continuous improvement. It means that you don't just 
post your COVID-19 response checklist in the break room and you're done. Because if you did that back, if you did an awesome job back in March and you didn't keep on paying attention to what was happening with COVID-19, by now your response is out of date. In fact, you're not dealing well with the human to human and you're not dealing well at all with the human to air to human transmission vectors, which are more recent emphasis. So you've got to continue to get people involved. You've got to get them re-involved because when you get them re-involved, but the thing is like by getting your team involved, not only are you going to help your morale, because it's not a top-down mandate that says, here, do these things you know, that inconvenience you, but it's a mandate that comes from the top. It's actually the team itself will come up with great solutions that you may not have thought of. Their morale will be better. And the benefit is that actually by getting your team to participate, they will sustain their safe practices. And so safety will actually improve as well. So I believe firmly that clean practice has some fundamentally powerful techniques that have been proven for years through lean manufacturing that organizations of all kinds can use very easily to get a much better outcome, both in terms of safety and team morale. And the thing you may be amazed by is that your performance of your, if you do this, you may find that the performance of your overall mission, what you're trying to achieve in your, in your organization, your company or your nonprofit organization is actually going to improve because as you really tackle COVID-19 and as your team sees you doing a great job leading them through this crisis, they will do a better job working for your organization. And I found that true at Endo. My, our team is doing its best work they've ever done in the midst of this crisis. And I'm really, really grateful to them because they're the ones who made it happen. It's, it's funny that, I mean, it seems to be this, this recurring theme. I remember I used to watch, and I'm, I'm just kind of a weird kid. I really liked business videos when I was a child. And I used to watch this one. And it was which companies are growing versus which companies are stagnant in the and S&P 500. And it was, I think it was like 1984, this video came out. And they interviewed all these leaders and they found that the leaders who were both kind of walking the production or sales floor, meeting with their staff, getting input from staff, including them in decisions and all of these kinds of things were the companies that were getting ahead. And I mean, this is not a brand new subject, right? This 36 years ago, this video was out. Right? And uh, it's still true today when you get your team involved, especially in processes that deal with their own safety. Yes. Right? Uh, it's, it's vital, right? And, you know, you should be so lucky to be at a place where not only does your management care enough to keep you safe, right, but also includes you in the process so that you can help ensure your own safety. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And so this idea of team involvement, it comes out of lean and it is powerful. And, you know, what you just said really reemphasizes that. So team involvement is definitely part of lean Kaizen, this idea of continuous improvement that you need to kind of revisit. You need to redo your Gemba walks periodically based on your new understanding of what, you know, how COVID-19 gets transmitted. You need to celebrate your successes. I was talking to a friend who told me he was in quarantine and it was because his office mate had come down and been diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. Now, they were wearing masks in their office. They were exercising social distancing in their office. It's one of those success stories we're not hearing nearly enough is my friend did not get 
sick, right? That's like awesome news, but like, you've got to share that as well. And so, but the other element about uh, another element, another lean tactic that we use in clean practice is what's called visual management. Humans are visual creatures. We grew up, you know, evolved to, you know, process a lot of information through our eyes. And that's why in, in lean manufacturing, you use a lot of color coding. You use a lot of signs. It helps people train faster. It helps quality go up, right? So at, at Endo, when we started out doing our gimbal walks, we decided to put little brightly colored stickers. You know, we divided up into zones. Each zone got a different color of stickers. And we divided up our space. And then as you did a gimbal walk, you'd place a brightly colored sticker on every surface that needed to get cleaned repeatedly to make sure that it would not become a viral transmission point. We put down blue painter's tape where there were social distancing issues. Again, like to visually, you know, direct people in ways to keep them. We use signs to reinforce messaging. And all those little visual cues will help people adhere to the best practices better, right? And keeping people safer, but it also communicates to your team that you have a very vigorous COVID-19 response in place. And that benefits the morale issue, right? Because you don't want people working scared. Well, and there's also that, and I I don't know what's going to turn out with this, but there is also the potential issue of if there is some kind of an outbreak at your workspace, you know, that could be a potential liability issue in the future. Maybe, maybe not. Depends how that, that kind of legislation goes. But, you know, it's also a safety standpoint. How are you going to hire anybody in the future when you had an outbreak at your, you know, at your facility? And, you know, talking about the breaking it out into zones and, and things like that. I actually saw a presentation uh, from a company here in Hillsboro. Now, I can't remember the name of the company. Anyways, I, I'll bring it up in a minute. But anyways, they have a – it's the Movement Park. That's the name of it. Okay. And so it's like a parkour thing for adults and kids to get exercise. So what they've done is they're having sort of like summer camp, right, except it's going to be during school that's not in person. So you can have your kids go there for half a day. But what they've done is they've separated their facility completely into two zones with separate entrances and exits and bathrooms and everything for those two zones. So the kids that go to zone A school don't ever go into zone B section of the building. Right. And so it's completely separated them. And they did that with the color coding and stuff. And so you don't have to be a manufacturer to use these kind of techniques. Right. You can separate certain sections. You can have staff who are maybe if you have shift work, you know, your staff from one shift never switches to another shift and there's no overlap. You can also you can reduce overlap of management or, you know, other kind of staff that are on. And, and so actually, let me ask you this. And I know. Uh, this might be different for different size companies, obviously, but did you have to hire more people to come in and do the cleaning and, and stuff like to clean services and that? Or is that a task that is just assigned to someone who's already on staff? How does that work? Great question, Matt. In fact, we did not hire anybody to come in and clean and and. One of the things we recommend is that you not hire somebody to come in to clean. Breaking the our space up into zones made each zone very manageable. Having the color-coded dots made it really easy to get people to... But we, we created a cleaning schedule, so we rotated. I, the CEO of the company, took a cleaning slot because I wanted to demonstrate to my team that we're all in this together. COVID-19 does not respect rank or seniority. 
And it was an opportunity for me to share this with my team. And I recommend that to every leader out there that, that you get as many people as involved in the response as you can in cleaning schedules that involve everybody is one way to get everybody involved in your response and to broaden, to democratize your response. And, you know, you may find it kind of transformational for your company culture. I, you know, I think Indo has long worked on having an inclusive company culture. It's really part of who we are, but we have found that this crisis uh, has improved our com- company culture and, and really uh, helped us in, in some really important ways. So I think that's something that's available to other organizations of all kinds. And definitely what we found is, you know, manufacturing companies, they already have a safety committee. Every manufacturing company is required to have a safety committee. They already have a safety culture. And what we think is that a lot of other organizations like nonprofit organizations, for instance, or, you know, software services type companies, they found clean practice to be super helpful because they didn't really have the tool set coming into this crisis to help them to respond, right? A lot of manufacturing companies have stayed in operation. I still think that you know, using some of the techniques from clean would be really happy, helpful, even very large, sophisticated organizations. But we found that our sweet spot where people are really responding is in, you know, organizations that have 10 to 500 employees of all kinds. Right. Are you using any technology such as like heat scanning temperature, like scanning at the kind of doorways, entrances when people come into work or anything beyond kind of the safety and cleaning? Is there any kind of like... I don't know, are you getting people tested regularly or any of those kind of things? Or is that something that maybe is is not easy to do yet? Well, the number one technology we're using is trust. <laughs> Just don't work if you're <laughs> and, and and it's really well we're we're not scanning people for temperatures and, and one simple reason for that is I think you might be able to catch some people who are sick and, and send them home. But, you know, the reality is, is that a lot, a very high percentage of people that are suffering from COVID, at least 35% are asymptomatic and still contagious. And so that's really not going to protect you. And in fact, you know, if you kind of try and buy assurance with that kind of temperature check, it may create a false sense of security and it takes a little bit of responsibility away from the individuals. Now we have a relatively small organization. We're able to maintain really good social distancing inside of our facility and, you know, good airflow, very good airflow inside of our facility. So we haven't felt the need to use those kinds of measures, but I will say that, you know, that's something we certainly will, you know, consider moving forward. But I think, The trust element, which I kind of said I joked at as a technology, but I think it's really fundamental. Building trust with your team is really important. Telling your team members that you trust them to stay home if they feel bad and that we need to be able to trust them to come to work when they feel good, you know, and really kind of building that trust by by involving the senior leadership in the response, in the cleaning, you know, like I said, those are all things and being really open and communicative about how well the company's doing in its response are excellent ways to build trust and responsibility. And when you do those things, I think you're, you know, it's a multivariant kind of equation here we're talking about. But when you do all those things, I think you get a bigger boost than maybe surveillance technologies would. 
And I mean, I think a lot of those technologies are kind of more designed for like retail and medical and you don't know who's coming in the door, right? It could be anybody. But one thing, another thing that I was kind of curious about, have you had any kind of issues with getting like the cleaning chemicals or equipment or PPE or any of the stuff that you need to keep up these safety regulations, I guess there? So PPE, we were fortunate to have a decent supply of masks. You know, we've been harboring our supply of N95 masks as well as we can. We are worried, you know, because we're actually required to have that level of mask for the type of work we do for certain of our team members. It's been very easy for us to get, you know, non-N95 masks. And we are, everybody's wearing masks in the office. It's, you know, we do have some office workers coming in in addition to the production team. And we do wear masks. They're very spread out, those people that the office people who are coming in. Most, the 90% of our office workers are working from home. But, you know, the cleaning supplies so far, we've been able to stay on top of it. Uh, there are, you know, there are a number of safety supply uh, vendors out there that I think, you know, when I've done my searches, you can typically find most everything you need except for N95 masks, which are still hard to find. And, and, but you may have to do a little bit more looking than you're used to. Right. And I think I know at least where we are, Washington County here, they have the Washington County Business Resource Centers. And then I think Prosper Portland has something also. And most cities and counties will have received some kind of funding, either from the Fed or the state, that they can put into grant programs to get PPE and stuff like that. I know um, here you can order like a couple boxes of masks and a couple gallons of hand sanitizer and stuff, and you just fill out a form and tell them where your business license is from and, and you know, just go pick it up at one of the business resource centers. And I know that Portland also had some grant programs. I was talking to somebody in New York the other day in upstate New York, and they have a grant program there. And I talked to somebody in Florida, they had one. So I'm going to assume that most states and most counties have something like that. The only thing is that it is a fairly limited supply. So, you know, if you get two boxes of masks, that's great, but that's only 100 masks. Right? <laughs> if you have 100, 100 or more employees, then you're going to have a hard time finding, you're going to have to purchase bigger quantity stuff. Yeah, and, and, and figuring out ways to sanitize the masks, perhaps, you know, if it's really critical uh, shortage type of situation. That's trickier at work because you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> There's like rules against that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's unfortunate that N95 masks are still really hard to find, but there are some out there. I saw an article that 3M was supposed to be producing some mass amount of, of those masks and there was some kind of production problem. So that might be a big part of it because I know that they were supposed to be making millions of masks and then, you know, something happened in production. I don't know exactly. I didn't get into it that far. But anyway, let me ask you, what is the easiest way for people to get some of this information? I know you had mentioned the website. Is it cleanpractice.org? Cleanpractice.org is the website. On that website, we have template COVID-19 response plans, which you can download and do a copy, edit, replace, put in your organization's name. We also have the principles of clean practice. You can register for a free webinar at cleanpractice.org. We periodically do free webinars. Our next one is coming up later this week on uh, Thursday morning at 11 a.m. We're doing a free webinar, Introduction to Clean Practice, that talks about some of 
this won't be out until Tuesday. <laughs> There's a week from tomorrow. Well, all right. We'll have just go to the website. There'll be another for September. And my email address is Sam at Indo, sorry, Sam at Indowindows.com. Sure, I can help you out with some window inserts. Or you can email me at Sam at cleanpractice.org if you want my uh, help with any of your COVID-19 responses. You know, we're, we're just trying to be helpful to people. And, you know, we've, we've gotten great feedback from the people who have checked out clean practice. Some people have sold us to just helped organize the chaos of information. There's just so much information. And there's some very good information out there. Like we're not the exhaustive laundry list of what you should do. What we provide is kind of a, a framework for how you can do it to get the most team involvement and the best outcome because your team is involved. Yeah, I think you're, you have it right. There's so much information out there. Another thing is, you know, you don't know who to trust with the information that you're getting. So it's difficult to kind of weed through everything and, and it's time consuming. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, we just want to keep, you know, both our, our staff and our companies and ourselves safe, right? And, and their families at home. And, uh, you know, that's what really matters at the end of the day. Sam Pardue from Indo and cleanpractice.org. Thank you for being on the show. I think you're going to help a lot of people with this information. Matt, thank you so much. Stay safe. Be well. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.